Hi, I'm Allison Hare, a former corporate executive documenting my journey to find a new way to live and work without burnout. Join me on the Late Learner podcast as we explore fresh approaches on often controversial topics, like really controversial topics. Today, we're tackling faith and your relationship with a higher power. Are you a strong believer or have you left religion altogether? I am in the skeptical and disappointed category and have enrolled in an almost year-long program called Renew through Buckhead Church in Atlanta to explore my personal relationship with God. I brought in Father Dennis Dorner, a young Catholic priest in Atlanta, to help answer tough questions about faith, Christianity, and hypocrisy in the church, including how to support our friends in the transgender and LGBTQ plus community. Father Dennis is a unapologetically honest and refreshingly unconventional in his approach, kind of like a young Father Richard Rohr. Today, you're going to learn to be as bold in love as others might be bold in hate. Check out previous episodes with me and Father Dennis in the show notes. Today, I'm going to be accompanied by my Renew mentor, Marilyn O'Neill. And before we get to our conversation with Father Dennis and Marilyn, let's get to the good stuff. What's the good stuff? Well, it's the surprisingly true, useful, fun fact. The stuff. You might be planning summer vacations right now and trying to think of some fun, interesting ideas on where to go. And on the topic of religion, here are the five most beautiful churches in the world ranked by top travel experts. Number five is Notre Dame in Paris. Well, let's say it the right way. It's Notre Dame, right? Is that the right way? Number four is the Church of Hallgrimmer in Reykjavik, Iceland. Not sure if I pronounce that right either. I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce any of these right. Number three, Las Lajas Sanctuary in Colombia. Number two, and this one is my personal favorite, Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, Spain. And number one, any guesses what it could be? It might sound a little obvious, but I don't know. Think about all the churches that you have been to or seen. Number one is St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City in Italy. What would be on your list? Have you been to any of these? Would you put them on a list? I've linked the references in the show notes. Stay until the end of this episode for the second installment of The Good Stuff to close out the show. I found an interesting fact about how some Catholic traditions actually profoundly help the environment. So stay tuned for that. Here is our chat with Father Dennis and Marilyn O'Neill. All right, we've been waiting for this. This has been super exciting. So I am here with Father Dennis for the third time on the show. Welcome back, Father Dennis. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. And we're here with Marilyn O'Neill. Marilyn O'Neill is my mentor. And on a previous episode, I have really been exploring my faith or, you know, kind of my lack of faith, my lack of belief. And Marilyn uh, and I have been working together for months, kind of exploring what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so excited yes. to be here today. Welcome, Marilyn. <laughs> and so we just had kept coming up with these unanswerable questions. And we're like, we need some muscle in here. So mm-hmm. we got a Catholic priest. Yes. <laughs> Which was a great idea. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Father Dennis, you've been on the on the show before. And you were fascinating to me from the beginning. You're endlessly fascinating to me now. But you're a young Catholic priest. You have long hair, earrings. You have a style that is very much your own. Yes. And I would love to understand um, the origins of how you got in and why you chose this path as a priest, a Catholic priest in this time. Oh, goodness. I mean... You know, it's kind of funny. Anybody who's ever had a, a vocational call or feels called to something, it's it's hard to articulate exactly like why or how you got there. It's kind of a series of events that are kind of all tied together with grace, you know. Um, I never wanted to be a priest. I wasn't an altar server growing up. Actually, my brother was the one that everyone thought was going to be the priest. He's, he's the doctor now. But for me, I... 
I always, I love church. Um, and to say I love church, I was always comfortable at church. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't really love church, but you know, I, I always felt at peace uh, when I was in like a liturgy or something like that. It's just one of those calm spots that mm-hmm. even when it's boring, it still was peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I always appreciated that. that. There was something that you could just sense that was that was good. That was, but priesthood was not something that was on the radar for me in any way in, until I was like 17 years old. I got confirmed. And confirmation is one of the sacraments in the church. We have uh, three sacraments of initiation. You're baptized, you receive First Eucharist, and then you receive confirmation um, as a teenager. And I didn't receive it at the same time as everybody else. And so when I went through, I studied what we call RCIA, which is the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. It's it's becoming Catholic. And I went through those classes, even though I'd already received everything else and been in Catholic school, but I hadn't been studying this stuff every day. Um, I'd been an active Catholic, but just being in those classes for me was so helpful because I had a teacher in there who uh, he just passed away recently, but he was used to be a, a, a teacher over at Marist High School and teaching religion. And he he actually loved the fact that I questioned things mm-hmm. and that I challenged things. Mm-hmm. And he encouraged that. And I think in many ways, David was that guy who, um, as a teacher, he was the kind of teacher who I became, where we ask the, the important and the hard questions, even the questions that make people angry, because it takes you to a place that makes you think about the elements of things that you may not think of otherwise, or you may just easily compartmentalize or whatever the case may be. And so that that day when I got confirmed, I was like, hey, I'll maybe priesthood is for me. And then two cute girls from the youth group walk over and I'm like, <laughs> and maybe priesthood is not for me, um, you know, and, uh, you know, just uh, it's easily dismissed as all things. But as, as time went on and as, you know, I mean, life just kind of kept going. And then we had the scandal of 2001, which was with all the child abuse. And I remember just just being appalled and grossed out by my church one of many times in the last, you know, uh, multiple decades but I remember asking myself the question when that was going on, and I asked, I was like, God has got to be calling better individuals than this. Like, it just, like, why why are there not people who are like, I'm intolerant of abuse, of any of the abuses? While sexual abuse is an atrocity and disgusting, like, that's not all the Catholic Church has been guilty of, right? I mean, we're talking about there's uh, there's been misogyny, there has been just neglect with so many marginal groups there have been you know in our endeavor to do westward expansion and and the number of i mean we we whitewashed the indigenous people of the united states and and every around the world not solely the catholic church but the catholic church was definitely highly participative in this and so it's one of those things where you're like uh, we got to do better I mean, I believe in the faith of Jesus Christ. Like, I believe in the ultimate love that is our God. But, like, the way it gets executed just is just astounding to me. And so the, just thinking about that, wondering, that just drew me in further and further. And the more I studied, the more it transformed me as a person. It The more it opened my own mind up personally as a human being. And, and that being, plus the juxtaposition of all my peers— it it really it was a crucible for me going through seminary because it it changed who I was and what I was about and why I really like why I was serving within the church mm-hmm. as opposed to before you know a lot of people they want to come in and they want to be you know that that righteous son to cleanse the tape the the temple no that's not my gig sorry <laughs> no. but but at the same time I don't want to sit there idly and not confront the things that need to be confronted you know and mm. so and so this fiery kid you know I mean I, I met with Wilton Gregory a number of years back I was still working as a banker and he said you know I'd like you to be one of my priests and it was almost like the voice of God at that moment not that Wilton Gregory was God <laughs> Uh, but that, you know, was definitely God working through him in that moment because it just it, it reverberated in a particular unique way. Mm-hmm. And it was like, OK, yeah, no hesitation. Mm-hmm. Well, I have tons of hesitations when it comes to the church. I mean, the, 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 the church, the institution itself is so fundamentally flawed for 2000 years. It, it's been kind of going further off the tracks or further away from what Christ is asking of us. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to throw out all the traditions, you know. 
uh, out, you know, we don't throw the Jesus baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> the holy bathwater. Um, right? <laughs> but at, at the same time, I think there are ways in which we can allow ourselves to be significantly more compassionate and, and address the needs of the world around us yeah. in a way that's not damaging to all the people of God. And it requires a paradigm shift. So Father Dennis came in here guns blazing. No, 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 no punches pulled. No. Oh, no. <laughs> we are here. Thank you so much for that. And yeah. and there's so much to unpack. And Marilyn, please tell us, what did spirituality look like growing up in your house? So growing up, my mom was is, is a very strong Christian. And my dad was agnostic. Just didn't know. Just, he, you know, just hanging out there, not really sure. But I want to say that Sunday school and a Christmas program brought my dad around to just thinking that I, I think I want to be part of this Jesus thing. And I think it was the kindness of Jesus that sort of draw, drew my father in. And of course, my mom had a lot to do with it. But um, we we had a faith where we went to a, a Baptist church in California, and we went every Wednesday night. There was a potluck, and Sunday morning there was a sermon, and Sunday night there was a service. And it, it just was part of our family. We just went to church, and we had friends there. And it was just part of my life. I never questioned it. I always felt like Jesus loved me, and I loved him right back. And um, it's just been a journey of getting to know God better and and falling more in love with him. And now all I want to do is give that love away. And I want to do it in ways that is palatable to other people. I don't want to come off as this perfect little church lady. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be real and authentic. So that's kind of my story. And we don't want to inflict ourselves upon others, right? Correct. Yeah, that's a big, big part of it. Right. Do that irreparable good where we go out and we just kind of inflict havoc upon other people. Right, (laughs) right. I do not want to push people away. No, never. But I think it's interesting because I I don't know if it's normal. Father Dennis, you probably have a better perspective on this where you never question. Mm -hmm. You know, you never question. I think this position, so... Me, who was raised Christian, and as I got into my 30s and now my 40s, have questioned it so much Mm -hmm. where I cannot find peace in my heart over who God is in my life and what faith means. Mm -hmm. And I think as like a skeptic and a believer, grill a priest. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, no, I mean, I actually think it's better when, when people accept faith and they never wrestle with it. I'm not sure that what they're accepting is actually faith. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I think what they are accepting is, or they're maybe even, um, they're they're accepting a framework is really what's happening there. It's not faith. It's just like agreement. What's the difference then? Faith, this is very nuanced, (laughs) but I think faith is something, there's an element of love that compels within it. You know, there's the Latin word caritas, It's, it's love in action. Where it's it's not just love where I appreciate from afar, you know. Mm-hmm. We we do this with the skies, we do this with with the lawn, but it, it's almost like the appreciation that we have maybe for like a puppy or something that is just obviously lovable. I'm I'm going with the with hyperbole because it's most easily understood. But mm-hmm. when we see that, you're compelled, as opposed to in in that compilation that that desire to be joined with. That's what faith is. It draws us further into a mystery, a, a sense of hmm. – it's almost like the law of gravity, larger bodies attract. Okay, so the closer in you get to God, the more you're drawn into mm-hmm. that. And that's mm-hmm. that's really what faith is. And keep in mind, every single one of these answers is going to be insufficient. <laughs> right, 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 right. I think it's really important, and, and please, just because I'm a Catholic priest does not mean I have all the answers. But I, I, I what I want to emphasize above everything else is that that, that sense of awe – in wonder, anytime we're talking about faith, anytime we're talking about the divine, anytime we're talking about that sense of unknown, there's two different ways you can go at it. I mean, oftentimes people look at it as fear of the Lord, right? I hear the word fear and I think biological response. It's it's almost an impulse. It's not something that we have a tremendous amount of control over. Whereas a sense of wonder and awe are very much, those are you got to focus to have a sense of wonder and awe. There is a cooperation. There's a relationship that's at play there. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where you know faith is happening, mm-hmm. where there's a curiosity. So let's talk about fear for a minute. And this is one of our questions that Marilyn and I had is, 
And and this could be an interpretation of the Bible that can be interpreted six million other different ways. When people say God fearing, mm-hmm. so when I have questions about God, sure, I think in my logical brain, I believe there is a God. I believe in God, but I don't believe He is fearful. So what? It, what is like if if God is love? Why am I fearing God? That, what am I fearing? Is that obedience? Well, is that being damned to hell? What does it mean, honestly? No, I think it's a great question. I mean, first off, and and please no one be insulted by the following statement. English is a very poor conveyor of thought. Mm-hmm. English is a um, it's a grab bag of languages. It's got German, all the different roots. It's not delineated. And so and so when we use certain words in English, they're underwhelming. That in mind, when you look at the the way in which the human person has learned over X amount of thousands of years to try to comprehend, try to understand, try to take in, you almost can watch the uh, progression of emotional evolution of humanity kind of go from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through you know the 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 epistles in the new new testament you're losing me you see people's understanding of something far larger evolve in the beginning god is very vengeful god is is making floods god is sending people out of the garden god is smiting people god is mm. is doing all mm. kinds of things mm-hmm. like this right that's how it's perceived is, is God actually necessarily doing all those things? I, this is where we have faith. This is where there's a sense of wonder. But I think no matter what, people, it takes an evolution of, of the mind and the heart to really comprehend the work of the divine present before us. Mm-hmm. And when I think of fearing God, I feel like that to me is loving God because I'm full of awe and wonder about this great big God of the universe who loves little old me yeah. for exactly who I am. Right. And so I actually, I never use the term fear of God. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really like that. In fact, fear of God is actually just a brand. Um, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's something that it's, it's a mentality that I'm not okay with. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with it. Not to say that we shouldn't be in awe. The best imagery that's ever been put in literature uh, would be like C.S. Lewis's Aslan the Lion, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, we've talked about Powerful, that. <laughs> uh, could eat your, your head off, but at the same time doesn't, will walk alongside with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, the potential power is massive. Mm-hmm. And what has been done in the past is huge. But God's role is to walk along with us. Mm-hmm. You know, we walk in the cool of the garden, You're going back to that Genesis. It's union. It's connectedness. Where we, as a as a species, as a, a race of people, humanity, where we have gone off the rails is where we think we are disconnected from all those other living things. Hmm. Can we stay right there? Yeah, sure. Yeah, tell us. Tell us more. I mean, we're all cosmic stardust, right? We are all collections animated thereof of these elements that we are not disconnected from, but absolutely connected with connected to the earth each and every animal i mean why do we feel so disconnected now oh because we've made ourselves little gods this is right where i'm living (laughs) this is right where i'm living it's it's kind of gross actually Um, tell me more the pridefulness and the the way in which we've become so lording without actually caring for it's like the power of the kingdom without any of the compassion of the kingdom. Mm. You know, we're lording over all the things that... What does that look like in real, in, in, for, for an example? I mean, we see it on a daily basis in terms of the marginalization of, of society, the way in which we look at, at, even within humanity, we look at other humans as being less than or other. We categorize people. It's done in ways in which many people do not even perceive it happening because they have become so desensitized to it. And we've come to a place where people don't necessarily even respect other people. They say things so so carelessly, so callously that they don't even realize that they're actually spreading hate and not even aware of the fact that they're saying hateful things. That's how callous they have become. But anytime I look at anybody and I think I'm better than somebody else in any way or I judge someone else, I'm, I'm putting myself above them. 
in any time I do that, even when someone cuts me off and I'm like, how dare they? First off, they're not even thinking about you. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, They're late to work. They're late to work. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. They're, you aren't even in their scheme. They were thinking two cars ahead of you, mm-hmm. but you make it about you. Why is that? Well, it's pride. It's woundedness. It's all the other stuff. Because we've acted as if we are bigger than, better than, and then how dare everyone do this to us? Mm-hmm. And it's really the, I mean, we can use early psychological language, we can use early spiritual language. It's sins of the father, it's the contagion of sin, it's the way in which we choose to continue to perpetuate, it's almost like kinetic evil. You know, we can just keep passing it along. and. The only way that that ends is in the way in which we remind ourselves of how connected we actually are. When we seek to gather ourselves in community, where we ground ourselves in recognizing what we are actually a part of. You know what's coming to my mind right now? Yeah. The image of God, the Imago Dei. Yeah. Like if we could perceive everybody that we see outside of this outside of this room as being bearers of God's image and yeah. lovely and beautiful all amongst themselves. Unique, unrepeatable, perfect as they are. Yes. So Marilyn, this is probably a perfect segue for your experience in Spain. And Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. So I was recently in Madrid with my husband and he was in meetings and I got to see the city sort of on my own. So I went to this beautiful cathedral and went everywhere inside the cathedral was just filled with the beauty and love of God and worship was, I just came out like I probably was shining because I was just feeling so loved by God. And I get out there and I see a woman lying in the on the sidewalk and she you know just taking up the sidewalk we i stepped over her Mm -hmm. i felt like oh my gosh look what i just did i was in this beautiful cathedral i get out and i step over a homeless woman how dare i do that you know so the very next corner there's this guy and he is probably 20 years old and his he was so lame but he was standing on a crutch but his leg was like an l shape out there and mm-hmm. then down straight down and i i'm like oh my gosh i just emptied all my pockets of all this little whatever change i had gave him all my euros and i i just i felt like that's not even enough that's sure. not even i was I thought, what in the world? This boy is never going to have a good life and never going to get over this. My question is, how do we love other people in a way that really resonates with their hearts? Sure. And, and homeless people, that that is just my... Yeah, I mean, it's devastating and it's incredibly difficult to, to live within and live amidst... I always take it, I mean, I am a priest, so I'm going to take it back to scripture on this one. And I'm mm-hmm. going to go, well, we always are going to have the homeless, right? right. They will the, always, you will always be have the part poor. of us, yes. But here's the thing, and I and I say this all the time because people are always like, well, you know, you're always going to have the poor. Yeah, you are, but they don't have to suffer so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be that idea of like theophany, how do we deal with the problem of evil in the world or <laughs> all these other things. Here's ultimately, when we see the injustice in the world, I need to respond in a way that counters that. I mean, that's that's what a warrior does, right? The warrior sees something that's wrong and they try to rectify it mm-hmm. and they will do whatever it is that they can. And that's basically the only militant language I'm ever gonna use in mm-hmm. terms of that. And I'm not talking like American warrior. I'm, I'm talking like samurai. I'm talking like there is a sense of, of a moral code, kind of a, you know what I'm saying when yeah. I say that? Not, and I'm not disparaging American warrior when I say that. I'm just saying like there's a, a different mentality. I could either be overcome with the enormity of injustice in the world, mm-hmm. or I can recognize and listen. I tell people, oftentimes people, they think that uh, it's it's the way in which we speak out that's our first love language. Mm-hmm. The first love language that any of us have is listening. Mm-hmm. It, it has to begin with listening. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the beginning of our own formation of languages. We hear mm-hmm. first, and then we learn to speak. Far too often, though, do we begin by speaking to those who are in need, mm-hmm. You know, thinking we already know what it is that they need. Mm-hmm. And you know, going back to like when I used to serve in the streets in Chicago, like that's why I brought bagels and tobacco and coffee. Right. I want to give you as many options of what you may want, and you could take them all. Right. But like, I want to give you options. I want to make you give you the dignity so that you feel like a human being again. Right. Because that's ultimately what I want to bring to the situation. Mm-hmm. I want to bring light to that because mm-hmm. we all know how dark loneliness and and being unseen is. Mm-hmm. 
And I want to make sure that I can allow the person, no matter who that is, to feel seen, to feel heard, and to respond in love to that. Right. Can we talk for a minute, though, about our judgments? You know, like we think we see a homeless person. Well, I'm not going to give them money because they're just going to go spend it on drugs. And it almost is like our intellectualizing or just a settle of like, I can pass this person and feel okay because the conditions weren't right enough for me to do that. And when I think about it, and there are plenty of times, I live in downtown Atlanta, there are lots, and I have kids in the car, and sometimes I'll give money, and sometimes I'm not making eye contact, and I feel like a jerk about it. But I also think when I am giving them money, if they're going to spend it on whiskey, Mm -hmm. and that's going to make them feel better to sleep on concrete in a cold night, Mm -hmm. then go for it. Who am I to judge? You know, That's my take. My job is to bring as much comfort to the person as I Mm -hmm. possibly can. Mm -hmm. It's funny, because those arguments, those resistances in our lives. Resistance, yes. Those are the things. There's a great book that's called The... uh, the War of Art. And in The War of Art, he begins by talking about all these various resistances that all of us have in our own lives. And we have to be aware of what those resistances are. The first resistance that we have when we should be doing something good and we talk ourselves out of it, that's the voice of the world. Mm. That That's what I would refer to as the voice of sin, actually. Ah. It's, it's something that I need to stop for a second and I need to discern that. Because the second voice that comes out is the voice of self. That's how you can tell what, how good of a person you actually are. Say it again. It, the, the voice, voice of, of self? self is the second one uh, that, that comes out. It's, it's after that prima facie, that first kind of a nasty remark. And you go, no, I really should feed this person. When we allow ourselves to get to that voice of self rather than allow the voice of the world to dominate us. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we really can overcome a tremendous number of obstacles within our own lives. But far too often are we on autopilot and you're just going to operate based on the voice of the world. Mm-hmm. Forget that. I'm moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have places to go. And sure. you, the shrine where you practice priesting <laughs> where i serve, <laughs> yeah. where serve. i mean it, it 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 invites the homeless in oh, yeah. you know like there's mm-hmm. so much there's so much so i think that question of am i a good person is challenged at every single turn and when is it enough or when do you not have the ability to give you know what i mean sometimes you can't give sometimes you've given everything it's so overwhelming but here's here's where we can be better about it yes help us get better you know you live in downtown atlanta you know you're going to be encountering people i mean there are certain times where you know like that dude's hustling folks like and it is a very clear hustle Mm -hmm. those are obvious now I don't want the basic listener to go, that's an obvious hustler, because it's not necessarily to you. But like, this is what I see day in and day out. I make sure in my truck, I've always got bottles of water. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I'll put a dollar or two around that bottle of water. I always get a mixture of snacks that are nut free Mm -hmm. and that are regular because nut allergies, most people don't have an EpiPen if you're on the street. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of people still have nut allergies. Mm -hmm. And so like I I keep stuff like that in my car all the time. Mm -hmm. Most people are hungry. And here's the thing. If someone's an alcoholic and you give them money, that drink might have kept them alive that night. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so like let's not be so, oh, I can't do that. That's a horrible thing. No, that's. That's being compassionate. Mm-hmm. That's that's actually loving the person before you. Did you have a bad day? Did you pour a glass of wine after your bad day? I mm-hmm. bet you did. Mm-hmm. Why are you judging? The other one is this, you know, like, let's see, we see somebody who's, you know, they're a drug dealer. What forced them into that? That's a, a high stakes, very dangerous thing. What was life like that that seemed like the better alternative? Mm. There's so much systemic oppression yeah. that happens in those communities. I know this firsthand because I've volunteered in in these communities for like six years in in, Mm -hmm. for schools and really was part of the reason why I started this podcast was because I kept witnessing all of these things that people like me just would have no exposure to and a lot of judgment myself included to cast people out as as bad or they could have pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and figured it out the starting line isn't always the same I think is what you're saying never and what I wonder and what I'm so curious about and wrestle with this so much is my resistance 
to being obedient to God's word. And there is a lot of hypocrisy that happens that I notice, that I witness from people who call themselves Christians or religion, whatever it is. Yeah. What does it mean to be a good Christian? I, I mean, I love that question. It's a question that I ask all the time. What does a Christian look like? You yeah. know, I remember one of the first homilies that I preached 10 years ago uh, when I first got ordained was, what does a Catholic look like? And I was like, there, there isn't a thing that a Catholic looks like. I mean, that's the reality. What does a faith-filled person look like? It's somebody who embodies love. It's not necessarily somebody who is a churchy, churchy religious person. So and not obedience. What, well, what I, I really obedience? want to understand obedience. I mean, obedience depends. I mean, to on an earthly standpoint, I mean, obedience is the same way in which we follow what our employer asks of us. You know, I, I, I'm working within the framework of what I'm asked to do. And obedience to a person really means I'm just not going to give lip service. But obedience to God is much deeper and much... Help me understand. Help me understand obedience to God. Well, first off, God isn't as petty as human beings are, okay? So, Mm -hmm. like, obedience to God requires a level of discernment. Let's look at, rather than the word obedience, because obedience puts a a, a power dynamic in there that's very weird. Let's look at it as just straight-up relationship, a loving, healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. I need to both be putting into that relationship as well as receiving from said relationship, right? And so am I giving the time to stop, to discern, to just listen, to breathe with God? Mm-hmm. Am I taking the time to stop and observe the world around me, mm-hmm. to, to see the beautiful creation, the complexity of things that are there? I mean, if I'm not doing those things first and foremost, and I'm just a busybody doing all the church stuff, then I'm, I'm a professional. Mm-hmm. I am not a Christian. I'm not a believer. Because if we are a person that does not stop to reflect, if we are not a person who stops to truly discern, how do I love in this world? Then we're going through the motions. It's a paint-by-number coloring book. I don't need to be that person. And I don't know that that makes God happy, if I'm being honest. We realize that, uh, I can go back to the Aristotelian uh, teaching, a tree glorifies its maker by its branches growing out. I mean, we too uh, glorify our maker by the way in which we extend it to the human person, the way in which our soul flourishes, the way in which we attune to the needs of our siblings, uh, the way in which we care for others. I mean, that's the biggest momentum. You know, people will ask, well, what's the, the greatest movement in, in human society? It's when we learn to care for each other, mm-hmm. to heal each other, to mend each other's wounds. This is the greatest advancement that we've had as a culture. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of have to be these people who are willing to be in relationship of cycle, not just telling the world what they need, but mm-hmm. actually listening and receiving and, and responding to that in a loving way. We're back to the listening part. Mm-hmm. Always. I think, so I'm thinking about the listener. Hi, it's Allison. Thanks for listening. Did you know that the game-changing ideas shared on this show are things I can help you implement? If you want me in your corner helping you find more time and energy for what fills you up, go to allisonhair.com forward slash collective and sign up for a free exploratory call. Give yourself this time. You will be so glad you did. And I'm thinking about, you're probably listening to this and you're thinking, oh yeah, so-and-so needs this. They are such a jerk, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but it's hard to look inward and recognize where we are being fallible or where we are being judgy and can help understand, wait a minute, I need to reach out. Like I know for me, this is a stupid example, but when I open social media and I know that when I'm getting judgy and jealous something is going on with me and I have to close it down and that that to me is my trigger that uh, and it happens at least once a month Mm -hmm. like right around ovulation (laughs) Mm -hmm. but um but it it becomes very palatable so for me that's recognizable and I'm wondering how do we put this into practice in a way that we identify our own ability to when we our branches are you want branches that are flexible enough to 
push things away yes. that aren't serving, but also pull things closer to you that are going to nourish sure. you. Mm-hmm. I think I have. Can I? By all means, you can one? start. Yeah, okay, Father Dennis, he, he's got all these great answers. I just have the ones that are just kind of coming out of my heart. I feel like those are when, good, too. <laughs> okay, when we're listening, like you talked about discernment, when we're listening and discerning the voice of God, um, we're spending time with Him. We're getting to know Him. We're having quiet reflection with Him, right? And so I feel like that gives us knowledge about how to truly love other people, how to truly get out there and be salt and light and respond to people who are not like us in such a loving way, in a a way that astounds us. Like, whoa, was that me? Did I just say that? I feel like it comes back for me. It comes from knowing God and making him known, like knowing who he is and how loving and kind. And Alice and I talked about this a while ago about how God could be a perfect father. Like none of us had perfect fathers. We had earthly fathers, we had human fathers, but God loves us so perfectly. And I feel like if I can just spend time with my perfect father who loves me so well, that somehow is gonna give me the words and the actions that follow up my faith and push me out the door and make me uncomfortable and and you know push me to my limits of of getting out there and doing kind of what you you do father dennis like let's go meet people where they are let's listen to their stories you said our ears are probably our most powerful tool in that is can you tell me what we did what's your story what happened to you why are you here on the street? I don't know. So I feel like hearing God's voice helps me know that I'm loved and I can th- give that love out to other people. I think that's a, a huge part of it, without a doubt. And I think that's that's massive. Your listeners are a a, a curious type. They're they're mm-hmm. you know. So you probably have a fair number of neurodivergents that are listening uh, amidst your your crew. So this is an important element. Um, Interesting. I don't even know what that means. Neurodivergent. Neurodivergent like, is ADHD or not um, non-typical thinkers. Okay. Which is a huge part of uh, of of my own life. But like, because you have such a curious listener, you're going to have somebody who they may not know what's even going on in their own heads. There's like I don't exactly. Okay, so I don't. Yeah, you know, listening to you, Marilyn, I'm like. That would be so nice. Mm. <laughs> I yeah, wish that's a beautiful plan. I, I really that would like be that. so nice yeah. if I felt that way. But my you just don't you know. Feel I, it. I I understand a different language, yeah. and I think the the seeking that I'm doing. Right. How do I know this is God? I can intellectually believe it's God and hope it's God, but why don't I feel it and know it unmistakably? And that mm. is where I wrestle. And mm-hmm. that's the hard part for everybody. Mm. You know, we don't really know our interior movements very well. We recognize anxiety because mm-hmm. anxiety is easy to recognize, right? Not necessarily, actually. I mean, there's a difference between restlessness and anxiety. They're very similar. But restlessness is it's there's something inside myself that knows what I ought or, or could or should do. Whereas um, anxiety is like, this might happen or this might happen, you know, and it's, it's more of a, 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 a fearful Fear-based, response. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's nuanced. It's very close, but it's very different. The best tool that anyone can ever do for themselves to understand what's what's happening here, journal. Mm. Every single person should journal. It taps into three different parts of your brain at the same time, which doesn't happen naturally. It only happens when we're writing. People will be like, well, can I, can I type it out? You can, but there's something about the needing to go through and physically write something out it works differently than um in the the mechanical of of our mind and so journaling Mm. ask yourself what am i feeling and then we can always ask ourselves the question well who am i Mm. like who am what how does god see me Mm -hmm. how do i see me Mm -hmm. and these questions are really good because then Mm. You're not bouncing all over the place trying to figure out, like, where do I fit in? No one fits in anywhere, friends. Mm -hmm. Like, these are arbitrary, made-up seat positions for all of us. You have to figure out who you are and be that. And the world's going to tell you what they think you should be, but that's not what you are. Only you really know who you are. I feel like that 
identity thing is so important. And, and the question we could ask God is, who do you think I am, God? Hey, what do you think about me, God? And if we get our satisfaction and our identity and who we truly are from God, I feel like that is, it, it's, it's almost like he's laying his love on us right with i love you and you were chosen and you were perfect and 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 you don't have to change you are i love you as how, you are as you are right now you are created in my image um and i i feel like it, social media is not going to give us a good identity a good make us feel good about ourselves oh god no um <laughs> so if we turn that off and then just, just yeah. circle back to god and say and journal like you're saying well, who do you think I am, God? And and listen. No, social media is the quickest way to have a very unhealthy view of self. Mm-hmm. I only post this on social media. This is news to no one. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. We are, we are stating yet, the obvious. Yet yeah. we are still we're addicted. We are addicted. Well, it's a dope. It's a it's a quick, easy dopamine hit. But I, I'm kind of stuck on the identity thing, and I think the relevance of more prominence around gender identity. And I know Marilyn had a lot of questions around that as well, Mm -hmm. that I think would be really interesting to understand the perspective as people are wrestling and grappling with gender identity. So much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sexual identity and, and like being in your skin, like who does God see me as? I know it's a big question. It's a lot. Yeah. I don't even know how to unpack it. I don't even know what I'm asking except to say, how can we point people to find like a perfect, uh, the love that they're looking for, the love and acceptance and belonging that they really need? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, transgender has been in the news, right? Like transgender, what does that look like from a Catholic or Christian faith? Mm-hmm. It, it looks very difficult from a Catholic or, 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 or Christian uh, perspective because uh, far too many Christians look at, at scripture as if it's a biology book. Um, rather than recognizing that it was a very loose framework of how people understood things uh, when they were scribing it down on on whatever they were. I think we need to recognize that the complexity of the human person is is massively vast. And when it comes down to gender, when we try to reduce anything to be a one or a zero, we ignore the infinite decimals between the two. Mm. Okay. I think that based on the complexity of what we have introduced into this world by way of artificial hormones, preservatives in our foods, uh, there's a myriad of different things. And you can go way conspiracy theory on it, but just just without you know superfluous government interaction, we have introduced so many foreign bodies to ourselves that lots of things are happening within climate things are happening we are seeing things happening um, within the ecology of certain uh, animals like there are amphibians that are changing genders within waters fish are doing the same thing it's challenging Mm -hmm. to seek answers from an institution has not been focused on that you're not going to find those answers there but Ultimately, I I don't have to have answers to treat each and every one of my siblings with dignity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have to understand it to be compassionate and loving Mm -hmm. to these individuals. Mm -hmm. I would not tell someone who was unable to see uh, that they were not able to have contacts or glasses. I would not make someone who was struggling with a a leg that was weaker, uh, I would not make them walk without a walker or a cane or crutches. I would not make an ADHD kid go through X amount of schools on years of school unmedicated if it would help them. Very similarly, uh, I would not force anyone to go through life with depression uh, without an anti uh, whatever um, antidepressant. These gender affirming care that we provide to people who are experiencing gender dysphoria is every bit as important. We are providing for them something that is is not necessarily available within their own body naturally. This does not mean that they are are broken or that they are or, or anything like that. This is just how they are. And, and we need to make sure that we provide for them whatever it is so that they can feel comfortable in their own skin. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is universal. 
Why does this scare people? I'm not going to speak for anyone else. I would say that it's charged with a lot of unknowns. The more unknowns within something, the more something doesn't is not understood by others, the more that it is vilified. Um, and, and so I think that's a hot topic right now because it's an unknown. I think that right now we're in a stage of far-right extremism, which we were literally just talking about this on the news this morning. So, like, I'm not – that's not a spoiler. The reality is that within our, our religious communities, we have become extremists as well. So what does a Christian look like? Actually, not like most of what you see represented. A, a Christian is, is not going to be like that. A Christian is going to accept and love the person that's before them no matter what. They're not going to be conditional and, and say, well, I won't use these pronouns or I won't do this or, wow, you know, I mean, that's particularly rude when you put limitations upon how you would address someone because of your faith, because it's not your faith that teaches you to be a jerk. Mm. There is nothing within your faith that tells you to be like that, disrespectful to another person. And if you, you, you want to say because God created man and woman in Genesis, that's fine. But even within that, there's a lot of misogyny. And even in translation, there's misogyny. To say that it was taken from the rib because the actual translation would mean from the side. It's, it's a half of the other person, not meaning actual gender or even less than or just a, it's the entire t- entirety. And so <laughs> that's a whole lot of ramble just to get to the point to say we need to be respecting of the entire person and, and all their needs and whatever it is that we can do to love the person before us. Recognize that this is a person who's not doing this because it's fun. They, they're doing this because they've been in anguish their entire life. Um, and that they, for the first time, they might even feel a little bit comfortable, even despite the fact that you're treating them the way you are, they are still more comfortable than they were. And so... It's tough because there's a lot of people that are like, well, my faith tells me that this shouldn't happen. I, I, where? Where does your faith tell you that? Where within, I mean, there might be a line within a catechism someplace that says this or that, but like your faith does not tell you to be discriminating to another person. Your faith does not tell you to be hurtful or unkind or lacking compassion. It's tough. I'm very fortunate to be at a parish that is incredibly welcoming and we have a a number of transgender individuals who come to pray with us every sunday and i love that and it's catholic shrine of the immaculate conception in downtown atlanta Mm -hmm. the oldest freestanding church in atlanta right Mm -hmm. it was the one that did not burn down during the yeah was it the civil war it was during the civil war and yeah i mean we were a field hospital for both the north and the south during the civil war i mean all are welcome all are still welcome. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is the, we are the hands of Christ in downtown Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You guys participate in the Pride mm-hmm. Parade. And I think what I have been so impressed with and why we are members of your church, despite my conflicted and contradictory walk in faith, is because of how inclusive you guys are, that there are homeless people that are praying right along oh, with, yeah. mm-hmm. with well-to-do people that travel from Miles and miles and miles to go to your services. Yeah. It makes an interesting mass because, I mean, especially like daily mass where there's not like 100 people there, but like you got eight people there and it's like two attorneys, you know, two homeless people and maybe a couple that I'm marrying, you know, uh, that I've got to do marriage prep afterwards. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you preach to all those people? And the Mm. answer is love. And it's not hippy dippy love. I mean, it's constructive. It's what helps people work Mm -hmm. through life. It's teaching people, even if I have very little, that I can be generous with that Mm -hmm. and that I'm called to build community. I mean, that's the goal, right? So yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing where people will ask, well, how do you do this ministry? I'm even, I'm writing an article right now for, you know, what are the top things that we can do to be more inclusive as a parish? And I'm like, I don't know how to do it wrong. I just, I, I recognize when there is something that may push someone away or make someone feel uncomfortable. And I'm like, we got to get rid of that. And then it's also making sure that people feel seen as they come in and welcome as they come in mm-hmm. without alienating anybody else at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, it's a tricky dance, mm-hmm. especially yeah. in the Catholic world. It's a very tricky dance. Yeah. But if we're called to love God and love each other, that's all we're supposed to do. Just love each other. Love them. Encounter them where they are. Yes. Help them in their journey to move forward. I mean, 
there's so many people within all sects of Christianity that they're, they equate Christianity with prohibition. And there was that. Hmm. I mean, that's what the Puritans were. That's what the Puritans were. But the problem is that was also a reaction to Catholicism. And so when Catholics act like Puritans, I'm like, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> um, but it's because, you know, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. I mean, it's it's a cultural thing. It's it's our priests that have taught them that, too. I mean, incorrectly. But, I mean, this is this is the reality. It's interesting to think about putting this into practice and knowing you, Father, that you felt like you were called to be good trouble <laughs> yes. for the Catholic Church. And this I is love a mon- that expression. Yeah, this is a monumental shift of what what does it look like for you personally to live this in a way and be able to witness people opening their hearts in a way that maybe other churches, other walks in faith have not been able to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The most important thing is people knowing that they have a community that they can be a part of. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to explain this to people on a regular basis. It's like, why do people join gangs? It, it's not for protection. It's not for anything. It's it's belonging. Mm-hmm. That's that's why people join gangs. Mm-hmm. They they want to be a part of something. I mean, ultimately, that's that's the goal, right? We're trying to gather people. The way in which I, I have to do it on my terms. I mean, that's something that a number of years back I kind of realized. When I was working at the, the school on the South Side uh, six years ago, and I'm serving, and it's a predominantly black school, Catholic school, but on the south side. And and you've got a weird confluence of uh, of kids from Peachtree City, white kids from Peachtree City that came from wealthy families. And then, you know, um, a lot of the poorer kids that were coming from other parts of, you know, Carrollton, other, other areas around there. And gosh, what a culture clash it was. And I realized just kind of being in there and, and, and seeing and watching this dynamic play out. And, and I realized, you know, I'm a, a straight white Christian male and I could walk in any room and no one's ever going to question me walking in there. Mm. I was like, I'm not comfortable with being so comfortable. Mm. And that's when I started growing my hair out. And that's when I re-pierced my ears. And, um, and I did a couple other things because I was like... You have tattoos? No. Okay. I don't. Not that I'm against ink, actually. I just, I, I haven't found the artist that I actually really want want to put something permanent upon me. But it's actually the more ink, the more piercing, the more open usually a person is. Mm-hmm. Um, I love meeting with people at dive bars for that very reason, because no one's listening to what you're saying and they don't care. They just, they're glad you're there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be mindful of when I walk into a room, when the white lady tilts her head, like, why does father have long hair and earrings? The judgment. And I feel it as soon as I walk in the room. I need to feel that. I need to know what that's like. Hmm. I need to know what it is to be judged so that I do not bring that into any other encounter. So Hmm. that I never react to somebody in a way like people react to me. Hmm. Now, I don't mind it because I'm really just taking out the lowest hanging fruit by doing what I do. You know, like if you judge me based on how I look and you've never heard me preach – Baby, that's on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and But it lets me tune out the most superficial of the bunch. Mm-hmm. And then I can work on those who are really willing to hear and those who are really willing to listen. Mm-hmm. And it's just unapologetically being who you are. I mean, that's the biggest thing for me. Like, I couldn't fit into a group of my peers if I, I, I did. I tried for a very long time mm-hmm. and I was miserable. Where do you belong, Father Dennis? With everybody else. Where do you feel like you most belong? That's a hard one to ask somebody with ADHD. I've mm-hmm. never felt like I really belong anywhere. Mm-hmm. I've always kind of felt alien, even within my own family. Like I, I am the black sheep of, you know, I'm I'm, I'm the, the cycle breaker. I'm the uh, intolerant of continuation. Isn't that crazy? The Catholic priest is the black sheep. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> with a white collar. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 okay, though, because that's actually what I want to do in, in, in what I do in society, too. I want to break cycles. Listen, if Catholicism done correctly was done correctly, then every church would be full everywhere. Like there it, without debate, because it would be nothing but love. And none of the judgment. But right now we have just so much extremism and, and so much judgment and so much hate. And and it's not Catholic. Now it's harbored within the Catholic Church, but it's not Catholic itself. But tribalism is ultimately the, the struggle. I mean, we want to gather, but we don't want to gather based on likeness. We want to gather based on diversity, actually. I want to bring as much to the table as I can, not all the same stuff. That's boring. Right. 
But okay, so if I saw you on the street, Father mm-hmm. Dennis, and you were wearing maybe your collar, maybe not. Depends on the day. Depends on the day. You are handsome. Thank you, you. look <laughs> hip. Your long hair is gorgeous. Thank you. Clean. I mean, it's Usually. right now it's in a ponytail. I'm yeah. saying I'm honest. watching his face get red. Yeah. Continue. No, but <laughs> I don't take compliments very well. Thank you, though. No, but I, I feel like you are a good looking guy who if you're walking down the street and you might wear a collar, maybe not. I would want to talk to you. And you're you're bringing it. You're bringing the gospel to people in a way that is attractive. Approachability is yeah. everything. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and I recognize and I learned this when I was working. Uh, I was doing my CPE during my training and I walk in. Um, and I was kind of insistent. They're like, you need to wear you need to wear a, a suit and tie for your CP, which is cl- clinical pastoral education. Mm. Um, and I was like, I, I'll never be wearing a suit and tie when I'm working. Right. So I'm going to wear a, a collar. Mm. And that's, you know, the Roman collar. And, and that's what I need to get used to. Mm-hmm. Fascinating enough, I walked in one room and the guy was like, I don't want any fucking priests in here. And I was like, whoa. Um, <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. And I just took the collar off and I threw it. And I was like, I don't either. Let's mm. have a conversation. Mm-hmm. I was like, because I'm not ordained. Mm-hmm. I said, I, I work for the company I said but uh, I'm not there yet Mm. and it ended up being a a relationship with this guy who was it was phenomenal and I was able to be there with him at the end of his life and and really like spend quality time with somebody who was wrestling with faith and not as much wrestling with Catholicism but he was wrestling with God Mm -hmm. and because I was willing to you know throw the collar aside right like that meant everything to him Mm -hmm. he's like oh I I'm good with this. Mm-hmm. If people aren't comfortable with you, they're not going to bear all of themselves, you right. know. And oftentimes, when people see people, or uh, especially clergy, and they look all put together, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm not that put together. Mm-hmm. Life is messy, and so am I. Right. I need someone who is approachable, mm-hmm. and and my goal ultimately is to be the person that I needed growing up. Mm. Marilyn, I would love to know when do you feel. Like you are fully embodied with God. When I'm sharing with other women, I get Hmm. lit up when I get to talk to someone like you, Allison. I mean, I've told you that before. This feeds my soul. This makes me feel like I'm just sharing God's love with you. And you've asked me so many hard questions (laughs) that I cannot answer. I don't have the theological answers, but I hope that you see a little bit of the kindness of Jesus in me and um, mm. that I'm sharing that with you because that's that's all I can do. But it lights me up when I can um, share Jesus with other women. Hmm. I love that. What about you, Father Dennis? When do you feel the most embodied and lit up with Jesus? I think there are a number of different times that it happens. I mean, like when I'm in the midst, like when I'm preaching and it's mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. I mean, like in you, there's that reciprocal. It's when you're preaching and you're on, it's like having a conversation with the entire congregation at once. Mm. And like, there's just something about it that mm-hmm. it's just, it embodies that. When I get to teach in a, a college setting or when I'm doing uh, formation for the men that are getting ordained to be deacons, I love teaching college. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I'm teaching... And I say college because high school is a different uh, desire. College Mm -hmm. is a want, especially graduate studies, which is what I I teach. And there's a want, there's a insatiable thirst. And and I want to try to feed that as much as I possibly can and even Mm -hmm. maybe grow that thirst. Because I think that that wanting, that yearning, that curiosity, that awe, that's the essential piece uh, to, to faith. And so when I'm igniting that in the hearts of others that's where i'm i'm like this is it and i and i love it i'm terrified before i get in front of a group of people i'm i'm an extrovert without a doubt but i have terrible social anxiety being mm-hmm. you know growing up adhd and so i'm i'm terrified at the same time it it puts me on fire simultaneously which you is just a you seem to live in the thing. discomfort <sighs> you seem to thrive in the discomfort discomforts i mean yeah I, well i'm okay with it because i don't really understand what comfort is Hmm. My hair is brown now, but I mean, it was fiery orange when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I've never been able to hide. Mm. Uh, My voice carries, (laughs) you know, and and so I've below the radar, not me. Mm -mm. If I'm going to be noticed, no matter what, let me do something worth noticing. Mm -hmm. I I guess that's how I look at it. You know, my famous line, if I'm going to get, you know, fired for saying what I should be saying, don't threaten me with a good time, right? It's, uh... (laughs) Okay, you know, I mean, like, I, I let's do what needs to be done. Let's, 
I think far too many people cower away from that. And you're gutsy. You are gutsy. Mm-hmm. If people can be so bold in hate, then I can be so bold in love. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. <gasps> we I, I gotta write that down. So, Father Dennis, when you said you t- when you're talking to the entire congregation, are you looking at notes or are you looking at faces? Oh, faces. Okay, because yeah, can I, you veer off your message or what do you when you're speaking like that? It does it just. Uh, Intellectually, in I, I pack like a nervous traveler. And so I've got like, you know, five or six ideas of kind of how I want the homily to go. Mm-hmm. But I don't know who's going to necessarily be there until they're there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I kind of wait for those touch points. I mean, I did sales before I was in banking and I used to do large uh, sales presentations. And if I can turn people on talking about banking products, I can do it about something I <laughs> actually believe in, like God <laughs> and love. Mm-hmm. And you could tell where you're, you're making those connections. Mm-hmm. And so you, you build upon those things. Mm-hmm. You kind of know age groups. You, you start to know your flaws. Yeah, And so you can bring even more and more the longer you're in a congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you know it's a congregation that has a specific, you know, emphasis or, you know, like when I'm pe- preaching in Black Parish, it's very different than, uh, you know, stuffy white folks on the north side. Mm. It's, a, it's a different prayer experience and it's a different preaching experience as well. Mm. Wouldn't you love to see him in a black church? Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> I, it's, I mean, I, w- that's where my formation was too, though. I, I served at St. Peter and Paul over in Decatur when I was doing my internship. And then when I was up in Chicago, uh, St. John's on 22nd, I mean, I, I did a bunch of parishes that were, I, I've not served in a lot of white parishes actually. And and I'm good with that because it's, um, it's, it's not my comfort zone. And it's a place where I can be me and do the work that I do and it's received really well. And mm. I, I, that means a lot to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I wonder as we close out, this podcast is called Late Learner. <laughs> What have you learned lately that you were wrong about? Oh, goodness. Well, I mean, I'm wrong about everything. Um, I mean, like the more you grow into anything, I think the more you realize that it's not so much that we're wrong, that we're, most things are just incomplete. You know, there's there's just, uh, there's a variety of facets that we don't necessarily see or understand or, or maybe even we're incapable of comprehending, but I think the the greatest part about, you know, growing older and and I am just open to the wisdom that mm-hmm. that comes in time. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing for me is um as as I continue to serve that I am continuing to become something different than I ever even thought. Like I growing up I never could view myself as an older person. Like I just I couldn't view myself growing up. Mm-hmm. I cuz I was just trying to survive. I think I was in survival mode well into my 30s. Mm-hmm. And so now in my, I'm going into my mid forties now and getting to see who I'm growing into being. Mm -hmm. And I realized I didn't really have any of those adult figures that like, I was like, oh, I want to be like them when I grow up. I had an image of me, but I actually realized I've become who I wanted to be. And then recognizing myself as that person. And, And I think the biggest thing was like, I didn't know that I could even get there because nobody really, I... I had to fight. Like nobody believed in in me. Everything was a fight. Mm-hmm. Like getting through seminary. Like nobody thought I'd even get to the finish line, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I'm I'm ten years into priesthood, and people are like, "Oh, he's still a priest." Like <laughs> a lot of people have hasn't bailed. quit yet. He has not quit yet. <laughs> he's that damn stubborn. Um, no, but I mean, it's 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 that I'm I'm that damn passionate. I don't want to walk away from Jesus because of Peter. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the reality is that the people of God are profoundly challenging, but the work that I get to do is is incredible. Mm-hmm. Can somebody tell me what Peter's done? Uh, well, Peter's flawed, right? Where Jesus isn't. Mm-hmm. And and so we would refer to Peter as, as Peter's the head of the church. You know, he puts the church into the hands. Uh, Jesus puts the hands of the, or the, the church into the hands of Peter. But Peter screws things up. Mm-hmm. And so we never leave Jesus because of the way that, Peter acts. Got it. Everybody outside of Jesus is going to screw it up. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the way it's been forever. Do we have an expectation or do we cooperatively accompany? Because cooperative accompaniment is really the, the apostolic role. It's not to control. Control is an opposition to love. It's to learn, to walk alongside with, and to embody that love. Like that's... That's really all it is. Everybody else is trying to do all this like controlling and and elimination and no 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 no. Don't don't do that. Let them learn. Let them see, let them explore. And and that's what it's about.
I love what you just said about walking alongside someone. I think there's a verse somewhere in the New Testament that talks about um, we can comfort others with the comfort we've received from God. Yes. And I like that, walking alongside someone else, giving them whatever comfort you could possibly give them. Cooperative accompaniment. That's yeah. the word that I've been using. Oh, I love that. Mm. She's writing it down. Yes. It's a good, it's a good phrase. Mm-hmm. This has been such an amazing conversation. Father Dennis, could you close us out in prayer? Yeah, of course. And so before we kind of get to this place, I want everyone to take a, just a big, deep breath in through your nose. Long exhale through our mouths. One more inhale and breathe in that spirit of God as we pray. Merciful creator, uh, we thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for the gift of faith and curiosity, those things that draw us into you. We ask that you fill our hearts with the spirit of your love so that as we go forth into this world, that we may be your light, that we may be your compassion, that we may be your grace, and we may be your healing. Send us forth to be the presence of love in this world that changes hearts and that illuminates the darkness of the world. Help us always to be helpful. Help us always to listen and guide us always to bring your light. And we ask this all through your love. Amen. 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 Mm. Beautiful. Thank you both. Oh, Marilyn's crying. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was going to (laughs) happen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. Oh, my God. That conversation. Father Dennis. Thank you for your honesty and your relentless commitment to being bold in love and helping us understand God and each other a little bit better. And the prayer at the end was really nice. Marilyn O'Neill, thank you for being so generous with your faith and pouring so selflessly into me and my walk. I've linked everything in the show notes. If you were as moved by this episode as I was, will you take 30 seconds to write a review on your favorite podcast player and leave me five stars? Tell me about what you late learned. And if you're looking to explore a new chapter for yourself and would like someone in your corner to help you pave a new path so you are not doing it alone, let's have a chat. Go to allisonhair.com forward slash collective. Let's talk. And I'll link it in the show notes as well. And as we wrap up today, I promised you a second round of the good stuff to close us out. The surprisingly true useful fun fact. Did you know that if you partake in the Catholic tradition of meat-free Fridays, it could cut carbon emissions and help the environment? Based on a study done from the University of Cambridge, assuming that Catholics didn't eat meat on Fridays, this would save over a thousand tons of carbon or 55,000 tons per year a profound impact. According to a green print study, 78% of people are more likely to make eco-friendly purchases and choices. So this is a great way to make a small change in your world to make a big impact worldwide. Pass it on. I've linked the studies in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and late learning right alongside me. As always, be good to yourself so you can be better for others. See you next time.